Good morning, church. How are you doing this morning? As you know, I uh, last week I, I grabbed a scripture verse that I just uh, got it really uh, impressed it on my heart, and I, I want to take that same scripture verse and, and talk about it even this morning. And uh, part of what you're going to hear about this morning, you've probably heard me talk about it. And I, matter of fact, I know you've heard me talk about it in the past. But I, I want to, I just really want to dig in in light of this passage of scripture. Uh, these two weeks in October, I just kind of wanted to. Here's the, here's the deal. In, in preparing for these two weeks, there is four weeks' worth of material, and I had to squeeze it all the way down to two, and, and I just, because it was just too much, and I didn't want to do that. And, and here's the reason. When we step into November as a church, I, I want our entire, you know, November for us is Thanksgiving. We think of Thanksgiving late in, the, in November, but, but let's take the entire month, and let's as families, as individuals, as a church family, let's be thankful that entire month. And, and that actually means when we post on Facebook that, that, that maybe we lean in the direction of being thankful. That throughout the month, that, that even personally in our time with God, that, that we focus on being grateful. I don't know if you realize it or not, but we happen to be fortunate to live in one of the best countries on the planet. We have freedoms that all around this globe most people do not have. We have the ability to purchase things that most people do not, in the world do not have. We think of ourselves, some of us, we think that we are poor. Listen, by the world's standards, there's nobody in this room that is poor. I think as we, st- as we slip into November, let's just settle back and maybe have a little bit more of a grateful heart and, and let's, let's focus on what the things that God has given to us, blessed us with, poured into our lives. And I, I want to expand on that even a little bit this morning. But l- let's just do that. Especially, here's the deal. Especially with the elections coming up, okay? I, when, let's, let's watch less of our television Okay, let's just kind of turn. You're going to see you're going to see commercials from both sides of the aisle. A lot of them are going to be negative. Some of them are going to be nasty. So much stuff that you're going to see isn't even true. And I'm not saying don't vote. We need to vote, but you need to find out who you're voting for. And if somebody is 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 not willing to tell you what they stand for, you shouldn't be voting for them no matter what. Find out who it is you should be voting for and do that. But let's see, if you turn on ABC, NBC, CBS, and CNN and all that, here's what you're going to get. You are going to get so much negative news, and that becomes a part of what shapes your thinking and makes it even more difficult for you to be thankful. Let's just turn those dials down. And let's take the opportunity in November to be thankful. And as we step into December, we've got stuff planned for you that you are not going to believe. Christmas Eve this year is going to be more than any Christmas Eve before this. Get ready for it and be ready to invite your friends because it's just going to be a great time. Now, let's go back to this passage of Scripture. Let me read it for you. I read it last week. And this is Paul. And he's, Paul's writing in this passage of Scripture from the position of having lived his life following Christ from the time that he met Christ on the road to Damascus. Paul knows, Paul knows what God has done with his life. 
Paul was pursuing Christians, persecuting them, and putting them to death. And then he finds Christ, and Christ totally changes him. Not only does he totally change him, God begins to use Paul in ways that he has never used anybody on the planet. Paul then begins to write to the church letters over and over again. And Paul actually leaves this planet and goes to heaven not even knowing a little bit of what God is going to accomplish through his life. And look what Paul writes while he's here. God, by his mighty power, at work within us, because the Holy Spirit is living inside of us, those who are followers of Christ, is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask, than we would even dream of. He wants to do infinitely beyond our highest prayers, our highest desires, our greatest thoughts, or our highest hopes. And Paul's writing this from a perspective of looking back, and he doesn't even know the beginning of what, and he knows what God wants to do. He didn't write there just for some of you who are talented, or, or just for some of you who love God more than the person next. He doesn't. He's writing to followers of Christ. He's writing to all of us. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. Let me ask you a question. We've, heard, we've asked ourselves this at times. We, we maybe have stopped and thought about this, especially those of us who maybe are a little bit older than, than some of us who are a little bit younger. But, but ask yourself the question, and maybe you already have, what if I knew then what I know now? What if I knew back then what I know now? I, I don't have a white leisure suit anymore because that's what I wore back then. But I, I don't wear that now. I, I don't see any, anybody sitting here with a mullet this morning. As we, we go through our pictures, we see pictures of ourselves back in the day and what we were wearing and what we looked at, and, 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 and the laughter just comes from inside and comes out. What if I knew then what I knew now? What if in 1980, what if in 1980, in the early 80s, I had invested, I scraped together all that I could and, and even borrowed some and did whatever I had to, but I, I, I took $5,000 and I invested it in this little Silicon Valley startup company called Apple Computers. If, if I had done that, I would be sitting right now with at least a $2 million asset. What, what if I knew then what I know now? And for us, especially some of us who've been around a little bit, we, we look back in time and, and a phrase that floats out of our mouth is, is hindsight is twenty twenty. We can look back and, and we know what we're looking at because we lived it and we've lived through it. And in this passage of Scripture, Jesus looks right at us, and he says, listen, the future, if you'll listen to me, he says, the future is as clear as the past. As we open up our Bible and God just lays truths out to us, as we spend time in his word and, and here on Sundays and in our life groups, God just gives us 
his wisdom, and he does it over and over again. Why do we so often miss this infinitely beyond? Why do we miss that in life? Why does it elude us? And last week, I threw out this concept that, that we think in terms of, we think too small. See, that passage of Scripture tells me that we, we so often, we just think too small. We think addition, and God is thinking of multiplication. He said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and add someone else. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say add a child. He said be fruitful and multiply. Multiplication is a whole other dynamic from addition because it is this constant multiplying with, with endless, see, it, it, beyond, infinitely beyond what we are thinking. And if you were taking notes this morning, I'd have you write this down. Now, I'm not, you're not taking, you didn't take notes last week, and you're not taking notes this week. I want you just to relax, and I want us to think in terms of that passage of Scripture, infinitely beyond our greatest thoughts, dreams, aspirations. But if we were taking notes, and you can if you want to, I, I would have you write down that we focus on the temporary. We miss this infinitely beyond because we are so focused on the temporary rather than the eternal. And I want to dig in this morning to a passage of Scripture that Jesus actually talks to us about that. But Paul, when he writes to the church in Colossians, he says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. You have become followers of Christ. You have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Son of God came, paid for your sins. You've accepted that, and now you become followers of Christ. He says, since then, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is. And then he goes on to say, as a matter of fact, he's seated on the right hand of his heavenly Father right now. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus begins to tell a story. And that's the story that I want to look at this morning. Because it's in this story that Jesus actually talks to this crowd and he says, you can know exactly what's going to happen in the future, just like you know the past. And in this story, he illustrates why it is so important that our, that our eternal focus is crucial for us to experience the life that he has here for us today. And Jesus gets, us, gets, gets clarity with us in this passage. And it's one of the longest stories. It's one of the longest stories Jesus tells in the New Testament. So I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll, I'll just paraphrase it and kind of squeeze it down. And, and he tells this story about the parable of talents. And in Matthew 25, 14, Jesus says this. He says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants in and he entrusted them with his property. Jesus is telling this story in a way that he knows they will fully understand. He's talking to them about something that in their culture makes absolute sense. See, this guy that Jesus is talking about is obviously comfortable. He's obviously wealthy. And in their day, see, they didn't really have a safe that they could put 
things into. They, they, didn't, they weren't able to take stuff to the bank and, and put it in a safety deposit box. And so, so Jesus is talking about this guy who he's going away on a journey. And so what he does with his stuff is he gathers his servants around, and to one of them, he entrusts him with five of his talents. And to another one, he entrusts him with two of his talents. And to another servant, he gives one talent. He entrusts him with that one talent. And this word talent, you know, in the, origi- in the Greek language, in the original Greek, th- this word talent, it means a, a, a currency or, or a gift or an ability. But basically, it's money is what it is. It's, it's, it can even mean work or it can even mean uh, 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 gifts and abilities. It, but, but in this passage of Scripture, he's really just talking about money or things that are valuable. It says, then he went away, and then in verse 16, He who had received the five talents went at once, and he traded with them. And he made five talents more. And also, the one who he had given two talents made two more talents. And and then in verse 18, but the one who had received but one talent, he went and he dug in the ground, and he buried that talent. He operated out of fear. He didn't even try to increase it or invest it. In. He, he just, he was fear motivated and he, and he buried it. And then Jesus goes on to say, but the master answered him. And I, I, I want you to read these, these words. The response that the master has for the guy who buried his talents. Look what he says. You wicked and slothful servant. Leave those words up there for a minute. Can you look at the intensity that the master responds to the one who just buried the talents? I mean, can you feel the weight of that statement, you wicked? It's hard to imagine that Jesus is using this in an illustration, but he is. You wicked and slothful servant. This passage of Scripture tells us how much stewardship matters to God. It tells us how serious God is about the things that he entrusts us with. And we live in a culture where the things that we are, are stewards of, where the money that, that we make, where God gives us the ability, that, and, and we, what we so often in our culture, we so quickly get into debt. And we live, the Bible says the borrower is servant to the lender. That means you become a slave. And, and he's so clear about this. And, and, and the, the, the words that even Jesus uses here are so strong. See, our money's always doing something. It, it just is. And, and when this master comes back, he actually took the talent away from this one who buried it, and he gave it to the guy who had ten talents so that he could be a steward of even more. Why does Jesus tell us this story in the first place? What, what, what's the deal? When Jesus starts this conversation, you know what he says? He starts this conversation by saying, the kingdom of heaven will be like, and then he told the whole story. And when he finished that other short story, he steps right into this much bigger and longer story. The kingdom of heaven will be like. 
and he shares this story about being a good steward. If we only knew then what we know now. What's Jesus doing here? You know what he's doing? He's kind of giving insider trader information. He's, he's letting us know so when we get to then, we don't have to find out then. We know now. Years ago, I knew somebody who knew something. And they said to me, you ought to buy this stock. And they gave me the name of the stock. And it was a Pepsi-Cola subsidi- uh, uh, distribution center in a, in a regional area. And they said, here's what's going to happen. This, this, this company is being purchased by a much larger distributor. And once that, once that distributor owns it, the stock is going to go up. Great. I took some of my money, and I bought that stock. And you know what happened? Exactly what they said happened. And the stock went up, tripled my money. Sold it happy as can be. Good news, bad news. Good news, the stock tripled and I sold it and made the money. Bad news. There were a number of times that somebody gave me some information about a stock and I thought, I know what happens, and so I bought the stock. The problem is, that stock went down. And every other stock I ever bought went down, and I lost money. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. That's that's not the arena that he's talking about. Stewardship matters to God. Jesus points this out. And he's saying, listen, if you're going to live today, you need to live with an eternal focus. How do you live with an eternal focus? As followers of Christ, listen, he wants us to live in this world. He wants us to enjoy. He gave us this life here on this planet so we could enjoy each other, we could become a part of his family, and we could become a part of his family that's going to live on forever. And we would enjoy this time, and we would spend our money, and we would live our lives here and enjoy it. And Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And another translation says, I've come that you might have life and, and not, not, just, not just enjoy heaven and forever, but this life here, that you will live this life to the full, Jesus said. That, that's what I came for. So he wants us to enjoy this life, but he stops us clear in our tracks, and he says, but there is so much more than this. And you have heard two things if you're going to enjoy uh, life with an, an eternal focus. The first one, and you've heard me say this over and over and over again. The first one is God owns everything. God owns everything. Everything. You, we have to, as followers of Christ, we have to really come to the place where we understand that and we accept it. So often we struggle with that. We think, well, wait a minute. I have worked so hard for this. I have saved for this. I deserve this. And we do. 
But it's more important that, that, that our mindset, our mindset, if we understand that God owns everything, it becomes easier for us to accept. Here's the reality, church. You and I were designed in his image. God created us in his image. You know what the image of God is? One of the most important images of God is that he gave. He never took. He only gave. Over and over again, he gave. It is part of his nature. Giving was part of his nature. And he says to his son, I want you to give. And his son gave his life so that you and I could be connected once again with God. We could become joint heirs with Christ. We could become his children. Why? Because he gave. We were created in his image. It, it's, see, it's so difficult for us to believe and understand the reality that God owns everything. And if you boil it right down, it's as simple as when we came into this world, we had nothing but a bare butt. And when we leave this world, we're not taking a thing with us. It all belongs to him. And like this story Jesus told, he entrusts us with things. And he gave us a culture. He gave us a world that revolves around sowing and reaping. If you work, you'll get paid. The more you work, the more you'll get paid. If you plant a seed and you water it, he sends the sun and the rain, and that seed will grow. It, it, is, a, it is God's design, and he gave us this entire package. But the reality it is it all belongs to him. When I recognize that everything belongs to God, it's easier for me to let go of stuff. It, it, two things that, that I find, if, if, it's, if something is not mine, it's easier to let go of. The other thing I recognize, and I don't know about you, but for me, if something is not mine, I actually take better care of it because it's somebody else's. And I want to give it back, and I don't know about you, but I want to give it back to them at least in as good a condition as when they entrusted me with it. Jesus digs into this. But declaring God's ownership actually makes us stop and think about that. When, when we're obedient to what he asks, and, and, and here I'm, I'm, I'm talking this morning just for a little bit here about the tithe. He tells us to, to set the tithe aside and, and give it to him. When our paycheck comes, we, the tithe is actually 10%. Just take it and set it aside and then, and then, and then give it to him. And it, in Ecclesiastes 27, he says that. He says, one-tenth of the produce of the land, which who owns the land? God. Of the land, whether it's grain from the field or fruit from trees, it belongs to the Lord and it must be set apart to him as holy. God said, I'm, in, I'm entrusting you. With all this, I'm, I'm, and in, in especially the land that we live in, unbelievable privileges for us here. And now the economy has taken us, so many things available to us, so many opportunities available to us. And just being willing to take that and give God what he's, see, every single time I give him back the tithe, I'm declaring his ownership. It's all his. I gladly give him that. 
tithe forces us to change the way we think. And, and I've said many times, look, if I were God, I wouldn't have done it this way. If, there, if you're God, you can do anything. Anything. So if I were God, I would just set up something in place that the church always had plenty of money. That's what I would do. Because your God is that shit, that's easy. He didn't do that. You know why? He, do, he doesn't want our money. That's not what he wants. He, he could create all, all the, the wealth of, of the universe is his, not the issue. He wants our heart. And he knows how much our heart, in our heart, we struggle with this money issue. So this is the process that he put in place. What's different about your life if you actually believe God owns everything? I mean, stop and think about that. Think, think of the decisions that you and I make. If, if we actually believe that everything we have is his, how does that change what we do and how we do it? Not only does he own everything, but as I continue to read through this story that Jesus is telling, the other thing that I notice is that we will give an account. We will have to give an account for what we did with what he entrusted us with. In Matthew 25, 19, right, right in, in this story, Jesus is telling this story, and he says, now long after... Uh, after, uh, now, after a, a long time, the master of those servants came, and he settled the accounts with them. He came back from his trip, and, and he went to these three servants, and he settled the account. I can remember growing up when, you know, whenever I did something wrong, and, 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 I, and, and I, I quickly found out that, my, that something was wrong, and I had done something, and my dad knew about it. It was kind of like settling an account thing. And, and one of the things that my dad seemed to do over and over again is he would make this statement. He would say, James, is there something you want to tell me? And that starts the wheels going. What does he know? Because otherwise, I'm going to start incriminating myself in situations that he doesn't even know about. And, I, and, and so, it's, 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 I'll need to give an account for the... For, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about a whole different than that. You say, well, James, I, th I thought we're saved by grace through faith and not our works and, and, and not our stewardship. And that's absolutely right. That is absolutely right. As a matter of fact, when we accept Christ as our Savior, his, his decision and the price that Jesus Christ paid on Calvary paid for your sins and my sins that, that we did in the past. And, and the enemy of our soul, Satan likes to point to certain ones and say, yeah, but I don't know about that one. I don't know if that, that was really pretty bad. And, and he likes to throw them up at us. But the reality is Jesus paid for our sins, all of them in the past, all of them in the present. And the stupid stuff that we're going to do in the future, already paid for. 
You're going to drive out of here this morning and, and just pull out of the parking lot, and somebody's, somebody's going to cut you off by mistake, and, and you're going to say some really bad words that you wouldn't say in here. And, and they're already paid for. Past, present, and future. We're saved by grace through our faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says, therefore is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But he's saying they're still going to have to give an account. I want to look at a passage of Scripture. I, I, want, the, I want this to be a settled issue. This is, this is the big thing this morning for me. This, this is the point that matters, I believe, so very much. Paul, when he writes to the Romans in Romans 14, he says, remember, we all, all of us, all of us, and all of us, followers of Christ, we all stand before the judgment seat of God. Remember that phrase. We, stand, we will stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Everybody in the universe will know that I am God. Everyone everywhere will know that I am God. And then Paul goes on to say, yes, each of us, all of us, will give a personal account to God. This is not the judgment where God sits up there and said, you, come on in. You don't, you who accepted my son, come on in. You didn't accept my son. You, this is not that judgment. That, that is not what Paul is talking about here. This is not these are the believers and these are the non-believers. He's writing to the church in Rome, and he is talking to believers. And he's talking about something totally different. These are believers in the church in Rome that he's writing to. And he's writing to you and I. And he writes about this judgment seat of God. And in the original language, the word is bima. And this word bima gives us real clarity. It, it's, it's the seat, judgment seat of Christ. It's the bima seat of Christ. And it's the word that, that we find in the original language in the Athenian games. In Athens and Greeks, in Greece, when, when they, they play, it was just like our Olympics. As a matter of fact, our Olympics come from there. That's the root of it. And it's this bima seat of Christ that Paul is pointing to. And, he, and when you dig into this, you get real clarity. He's talking about athletes who have run the race, athletes who have, in their event, they've pressed all the way through it, and they've gone all the way to the place, and now they're standing at the podium. And the, the judge of, of, the, of the Olympics places a wreath on their head recognizing that they have run their race well. They have finished their event well. But when I say the judgment seat of Christ, for most of us, especially those of us who've grown up in, in maybe different churches, there's a, there, there's a picture that, that kind of comes to mind for us. And put that, put that up for me. Because we know the sins that we have committed. And we know that in areas of our life we've messed up and, and, and some of us, we, we've messed up our entire lives and we know we're guilty. 
that picture is not what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about we've run the race. Now on the podium and, and the judge is putting the wreath on our head. Put another picture up there because this is more accurate. What, what is hard to see is there are tears coming down her eyes. Because in her event, she has pressed all the way through. And all the way through, God is saying, he's cheering her on. And it's what he's doing for you and I. He is encouraging us. He's saying, come on, you got this. Come on, you can do this. Don't give up. Keep on stewarding with the things that I've given to you. Keep on going. That's the judgment seat of Christ. It is encouraging. How do you become a faithful steward? As followers of Christ, we need to see ourselves as spiritual investors, as kingdom investors, and not just earthly spenders. It's okay to be earthly spenders. But Jesus gets their attention. He says, there is more than just spending. We're saved by grace, not through our works, but your life and my life. And the stewardship of our lives will impact eternity. And not just for us, it will also impact eternity for the people that we invite and the people that we invest in. In the early 60s, a group of people met here on Three Acres, and they began investing in this piece of property, in a little building next door. And they began this church way back then. And there was nothing else around here, just cotton fields. And they began then. And now we are here, and our community is larger, and there is so much more there. And God is calling us to invest. See, there's a whole other reason that he says the tithe is holy, and he wants us to set it aside, because it's an opportunity for you and I to simply be obedient and to reach our community. Look what Jesus said. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moths or rust will destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. He, Jesus is saying, there's a whole other economy. Back in the 80s, I went to Holland, and I went to several other countries around Europe. And I remember changing my money over to the Dutch, whatever the heck it's called. I don't even know. But I changed it over. And, and when I left Holland, I actually had money left over, and I brought it home. From that point on, it was absolutely useless. That money was in an economy where it didn't even matter. That's kind of what Jesus is saying here. Spend your money in an economy, invest your money in an economy that will last forever. And he goes on in 21 to say, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That passage of Scripture is broad, and it opens up both ways. See, we're followers of Christ, and we come here. So many of us, we give our tithe 
every single, every paycheck we give our tithe. I love being a, being a part of that, and, I'm, and, I, and I love having so many of us that are doing, doing that along with us. And that's what's making a huge, everything happens on this campus because we're faithful in our giving. I love being a part of that. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is where my heart is, so I place my treasure there. But some of us have come about that in a difficult way. We, it's not, like, it's not like we're comfortable giving. So we begin to give. And it's interesting how the same thing happens. When we begin to give, God grows our heart. When we begin to go down this pathway, he begins to grow our heart, and he attaches our heart. And his family become our treasure. And this place becomes our treasure. And God has called you and I, to be kingdom investors. We live, and we live in the benefit of this campus because so many before us were obedient. And now we together, as a church family, so many of us, it continues to go and grow and reach. And we're looking, listen, our church team and our church board, we're looking at our community and how much opportunity we have to take more people to heaven with us. We should do anything short of sin to reach the people around us with the gospel because we live in the benefit of it and we know what God does in our lives. Jesus challenges us in this story and he's telling us as, as sure as you know the past, you can know the future. Heaven may be our goal, but getting to heaven and taking as many people along with us is the mission and the purpose of our church family. Let's stand together. Let me pray with you. Whether it's in the area of finances or it's in any other area of your life, here's my number one goal this morning. As you and I leave here, the one thing I want you to remember is that girl's face and the tears coming down her face, knowing she has, she has finished her event and she's receiving her reward. And all along through the entire process, she was encouraged. And that's you and I all along. He's encouraging us. And he's telling us, you can do this. I'm here with you. You can do all things through my strength, he says. And as you and I are faithful, not just in our giving, but in other areas of our lives, God is at work in our lives. And he will do what he says he will do. I'm a few minutes over, but let me just share something else with you, especially since you're standing. Make your life a little bit more uncomfortable, I guess. Those of you who know me well know that I... Uh, I absolutely love buses. Buses, uh, bus, certain kind of buses are my thing. I have been for years. Some of you know I traveled uh, in a band for years, and we had an old bus, and we traveled in it, and loved every minute of it. I, and I have always loved, I can be going on 10 eastbound, and when I see a custom coach coming the other, I'll recognize it. I don't know what, what brand it is, and there are just three major brands. The rest of them don't really matter to us guys, but there are three major brands. And, and when, when I see, I know, exactly, I, know the, I know exactly what they are. 
And I, 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 Karen and I have talked about this, and we've always figured, you know, when it gets, when it gets time for me to retire or, or get older, I'll, I'll probably, we'll get an old one, and I'll probably fix it up, and we'll do, we'll just, because it's, it's just something that I absolutely love. I always have. Some of you love cars, and some of you love your gardening. I don't understand that at all, but there are different things that, that we, we just wrap our lives around. And so buses have always been my thing. And I got a, my brother-in-law has one, and, and I, just, I just, I shared this with the first service, and I don't want to cheat you, so I'll share it with you too. I got a phone call a couple of months ago from my brother-in-law, and, uh, and he has a gorgeous custom coach. And he just let Karen and I know that they actually wanted to give it to us. This bus was, when he bought it, was owned by Porsche Corporation. They used to take it to the races. It is a really, really nice bus. This is just, this is just one more example of how God does what he says he's going to do. Guys, I'm looking over my shoulder. I'm looking in the rearview mirror. Vision is 2020. I understand what Paul's talking about in different areas of my life. I got to tell you, he, he says that he will do more than we could ever dream or imagine. When you and I are willing to step into his economy and do things his way, I don't know why we struggle with this, but we do. We, we, we fight it. We, we're just thinking in terms of this world's economy. I got to tell you, he says in Malachi, trust me in this, when he's talking about the tithe. He says in Malachi, just give it to me. Trust me. And then he goes on to say, and his promise along with that is, he says, you won't, you won't even be able to contain what I will give to you. He promises to take care of us. He promises to take care of our stuff. See, he wants us to step across this line of faith. And this is not, listen, this is not... This is not a fundraising deal. This is not what the church wants for you. Our staff and our team, here's, here's what we want for you. We, we want you to live in the benefit of this. And it's not just money. See, when he says that you won't believe what I'll do, he's not just talking about money. He's talking about loving his obedient children and living in a dynamic with them where we together are relying on him, and he is our heavenly father, and he will do everything that he says he will do. This is God. It is what he does. And in terms of giving, the, the church, we just don't want from you. We want for you. I so want uh, so many of our church families, so many of you are doing it, but we want everybody to live in the benefit of this. Father, thank you for your love. Lord, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for making it so clear to us that we are the apple of your eye. And the one thing you want more than anything is for us to trust in you. Some of us here this morning, help us to, to take that step in whatever is going on in our lives, to, 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 to trust whatever that situation is with you, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in finances, no matter what area it is. Everything about it, you already know. Help us to trust you. And our prayer team's up here, church. We'd love to pray with you about anything. Father, thank you for this morning. 
Bless us as we step out into this day. May we honor you with this day. And do something with our cardinals. In your name we pray. Amen.